I'm your host, Crystal Douglas. I'm a clothing designer and celebrity tailor, a wild Mustang tamer, and an entrepreneur addicted to self-education. This podcast is dedicated to sharing lessons from my experiences of building my own brand in the handmade and creative space. What started as a home sewing machine propped on the edge of a $30 Craigslist desk grew to be my dream job, a thriving sewing enterprise here in Nashville, Tennessee. If you make or design things for money, this, and let's be honest, every other episode of Pull the Thread will help you do that even better. I can't wait to dive into this next episode with you. So let's go. Welcome back. This is episode 28 of Pull the Thread Podcast. I'm really excited for this episode, and I know that tends to be a tired word, but mostly because I feel like I've gone through so many changes just since the last episode, and it wasn't even long ago. It was just last week. However, so much has happened. I got a chainsaw, mm-hmm. and I have been making improvements to our property. My fiance comes home for just 24 hours this week, and I'm just really, really excited to show him all of the hard work that I've been putting into it while he's been away and just kind of taking steps forward because we want to build, and we don't know how soon that's going to be. And so... We're just kind of trying to prep the property and get utilities to it and get all of our little ducks in a row and just kind of like see what door opens and we're going to walk through it, whichever one does. And so, yeah, I've been doing a lot on that. This week that I am recording this is CMA week, which CMAs are the Country Music Awards. It's a red carpet. It's an award show. It is a big deal in Nashville. If you were a tailor in Nashville in entertainment, it is your Super Bowl. So here we are. I have, I think I have like four or five artists walking the red carpet. So um, the ones that are walking, I have their red carpet looks. And then the ones that are performing, I have red carpet and performance looks. So my hands are full, but not without me making a little bit of time for my little pony and a lot of time for the property uh, and just kind of trying to still get that solid eight hours of sleep each night in addition to all of the things I'm trying to keep in the air. Um, But enough on that because I actually want to talk about the business. Not really my business, but yours because there is a very, very common thing that happens when people who are self-employed, they start businesses on paper, um, but they stay self-employed. And it's really funny, so I'm going to point it out to you. Maybe you do this. It cracks me up when I see people online make statements about their companies like, we at this company, or like, we provide this skill. And you know what's hilarious about that is like, I think when I first started, I did the exact same thing. But When you stay in business after starting a business and you keep going for a little bit, uh, it's all like new muscles that you're working. Every week is like a new muscle group. And you think in your first couple years of business, like you think that you've got it. You're like, all right, cool. I have a bicep now. Awesome. That's not going to get me again. (laughs) And then you wake up and like, now you need a tricep. And you're like, wait, what? No, I do. I do work my arms. And then they're like, yeah, no, you need a tricep, you know? And it feels like you make all these weird little mistakes again and again and again until you have all these different muscle groups. And uh, it's very obvious when somebody skips leg day (laughs) in terms of doing business and having a business because the way that they speak about their business or the way that they speak about their work highlights what they're uncomfortable with. 
So when someone says we at our company do XYZ or our clients are this kind of client, what they're saying is I want to be bigger than I actually am. I want my business to be a larger name than it actually is. I want to be more established. I want to be more successful. And it's very loud for everybody outside because the bones of your company still look like you are self-employed. And so this episode is going to be on the differences between being self-employed and what business ownership looks like. And you might have the paperwork that says that you are a business, but it doesn't quite mean that you are functioning like a business. And so this episode is for people who are finding themselves in the shift of one to the other. And they're, they're spending a lot of their nighttime hours hustling, trying to get more clients, and their daytime hours trying to sew and get the work done, and then their evening hours trying to push it out the door and get paid for it, and they're tired. If you're tired, if you're wearing every hat, man, do I see you. I was right there in your shoes. And honestly, it doesn't really feel like that long ago. And so this, this message is for you. <laughs> When I think back to the start of my business, I valued my my money more than any other resource that I had, which meant that I would work from about 9 a.m. to about 2 or 3 a.m. with a couple hours in the afternoon reserved to go take care of my horse, which still meant I was on the road for like two hours straight in addition to the time that I would spend with her. And so I worked really long hours in order to prioritize what was important. And I prioritized money over everything because I didn't have it. When you have money, you start to prioritize time. (laughs) When you don't have money, you prioritize money. And you don't care how many hours it takes for you to get the thing done. You just care about the dollar amount that's going to be dropped into your account after. So you sacrifice your time and your sleep and your peace in order to have a higher number in the account. And the problem with that is it doesn't set you up to function like a business. Now, regardless of whether you simply want to be a one-person show, you don't want any employees, you don't want any help, you love the size and the scale of your operation, you like it to be small, you like it to be manageable, or... If you want to have people work for you and help you grow this thing, I would recommend a business entity regardless. Having an entity, whether you are an S-Corp or an LLC or a B-Corp and talk to your accountant to tell you exactly what the smartest move for you is at the time, I have had such adamant thoughts about this topic. However, uh, the tax laws keep changing. And so the moments when I have switched from one classification to another the tax law changes all over again and it's just like what why did we just go through all of this but regardless i would definitely recommend that you speak to your accountant and you figure out which business entity filing is best for you for many people it's an llc however a lot of them tend to be taxed a lot higher uh, so it really just depends but so if you want to stay self-employed and you don't want any employees and you want to be the kind of situation where if you are trying to buy property or buy a house buy a car anything like that it's not going to affect you to stay self-employed then you go for it you get that llc and you stay self-employed got it if you are trying to have a company or a business and you want to have employees 
I still believe that the smartest move is an S-Corp. However, once again, those tax laws keep changing. But regardless of the route that you and your accountant choose for you, I would definitely recommend that you get legal because in this business, you are working with creatives and your number one priority has to be you. And you need to look out for yourself. And you don't know until you've seen it. And that's really just like the adage for just doing business and being a business owner. You've seen it all. Like if you, if and if every person was required to become a business owner for 10 years, I think the entire world would look different because people would have a lot more empathy with one another. And they also would have like zero spoons in some capacities because the amount of people that will try to take advantage of you when you have nothing the people who will try to um, to jump on your little ship when you have something, like it's tiring when you're a business owner. And so I would recommend that you get legal regardless because you just never know what's around the corner and what could happen. Um, you don't know, like like literally I have seen horror stories of people getting in car accidents before and the person who hit them now owns their car in a fraction of their business. So this stuff is crazy. So I would recommend that you get a business entity to protect your income and your assets and yourself separately from the business. So that is my first piece of advice. My second way to discern what route is right for you is to ask yourself this question. If you stop working, is money still coming in? If the answer is no then you are self-employed. You are not running a business. If you're running a business, the money is still coming in. If you stop for a day, if you put down your shovel, or in my case, if I go pick up a chainsaw rather than working in the shop, am I still making money? Yes, because I built a business and I have different income streams happening that do not require me to be there. If you stop working, and money stops coming in and that affects you and that's stressing you out, then it's most likely a sign that it's time for you to grow into being a business and not remaining self-employed. We're going to talk more about that later and how to do that. Now that we've covered money coming in when you're there and when you're away, I want to talk about allocation because this is something that a lot of like podcasters and also Business owners, CEOs, entrepreneurs don't really talk about. And so I kind of wanted to dedicate some time to allocation because it's something that if you aren't good at money, having a business can actually like bankrupt you <laughs> because you almost have too much power. Like if you're not good at money personally, having a business and running it financially can truly put you in a terrible position because you are now responsible for all allocation of funds in the business account. And so you could blink and there's 20, 30, 40, 60,000 dollars in there. Just this is just like for the craft-based world. <laughs> and if you don't handle those funds correctly, you're not going to be able to have enough money to pay your taxes um, or or worse, literally worse, have the money to pay the team that that did the work for you um, or pay the rent or pay like anything. Literally, if you are not good at allocation and what's crazy about that is like allocation inside of a business is like supercharged compared to personal finances because you might have great personal finances. However, 
when it comes to purchasing supplies and delivering services, you need far more cash flow than you ever think that you're going to need to have access to. Because by the time that you've purchased the supplies and they've arrived to you, you're not two weeks in. And from there, you need to have the product made. And now you need to pay the people that made it for you. And then you need to pay to ship it out. Well, you're now a, a, a month over a month after you started spending the money to have that product made. And if you don't have a good sequence of events or sequence of accounts receivable um, or net terms that are all under control, you could go belly up within 60 days, truly. Some of my worst months in business were when we had tens of thousands of dollars in invoices out Uh, and all of them were like over 30 days past due. Like no one paid a single invoice that month, and they just kind of like laugh it off, like, oh, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. And it's even more hurtful when you're looking at it because you take it personally when it's your business. And uh, it's, it's even more offensive when like those tens of thousands of dollars are all summarized by like 50 to $300 invoices. It's like tens of thousands of dollars made up in, in 150 to $300 invoices, literally. And that alone can cause you to go bankrupt because like it literally, like you could fold. So if you don't have the cash flow to maintain yourself, you could end up not having anybody pay a bill for a month. Okay, well now all of your expenses and your overhead are due as well as the salaries and the the employee costs to keep them doing all of those things, like to have provided the product so that you could bill the client, right? And then they don't pay up, but you pay up. Okay, well, now you're starting the next month in the negatives. And then you're working on other things, spinning your wheels, trying to recover. And then they've still not paid. Like that stuff happens, y'all. Like that happens. And I'm so grateful and fortunate that at this point in time, all of our clients don't play those games. <laughs> like we have really great clients. And we've honestly, like we've gotten to the point where we we don't have time for people that that aren't that way. And then we make all the time in the world and bend over backwards for people who are respectful um, and for all of the reasons why we love them. But that's business. But to wrap up allocation, if you are going from being self-employed to wanting to run a business, wanting to bring in people, wanting to delegate things outside of your business, wanting to truly scale and grow. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with staying self-employed. There's nothing wrong. I have gone through so many times where I'm like, oh, okay, well, just being a one-woman show is actually the best thing for me right now. It's the best thing for me financially or like my peace of mind or whatever. At the moment, it's not. At the moment, Natalie and I have a really great thing going and then I lean on a couple different contractors outside. But there's nothing wrong with being a solo show, with being a solopreneur and being self-employed. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And if it fits with your lifestyle and it fits with your goals and your ambitions, then that is absolutely the way for you. But if you're listening to this right now and you're going, dang, that sounds fun, even just the dynamic of adding another person into the room or uh, somebody who their natural gifts are ones that I don't have and I could teach them things and they could teach me things, then it might be time to level up from self-employed to business owner. And if it is, please, please start. Start the whole show with proper allocation of funds, which means we stop the bleed. 
So no more bleeding, no more wasting money on stupid things. I don't care if it's a subscription from four years ago that's only $5 a month and you just never got around to canceling it or letting those clients jerk you around and not pay you on time. You have to make that stop right now because you are not a creditor, you are a business owner. So even if you have to hire out that step to have somebody else do it for you like I do, or if you have to, I, you know, put on the big girl pants and have a tough conversation, everything that you want is going to be on the other, for your business is going to be on the other side of that conversation. And so allocation has to look different for you as a business owner than it does as someone who is self-employed. Because when you're self-employed, you make the paycheck, you pay off any expenses that it cost you to earn that paycheck, and then the rest is money, 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 and it's all yours, and you get to have a happy pocket full of money, and you can do whatever you want with it. When you are a business owner, <laughs> that money uh, jumps into three separate accounts before it reaches yours. So here's what I would recommend you do for your allocation as a business owner. You're going to have an account that receives all invoice payments. It's the same account that you deposit checks into. It's the same account that like Stripe deposits into. Uh, everything gets dumped into that one account. And then you're going to have a savings account off the side of that. And you're going to set aside salaries and payday. Everything for your subcontractors and yourself included or your employees all goes into that account. And that way, no matter what happens with the rest of the money, no matter what the supplies expenses come out to be, no matter what the overhead is, you'll have a team. Therefore, you'll have a business. Because once you've built a business, you are no longer the business. That was you as a self-employed person. Now that you are a business owner, the health of the business is the health of your culture. But this is where a lot of business owners get it wrong. They get high on their own supply. What happens is that they think that what got them here as a self-employed person is going to get them there as a business owner. And you really only have like three outcomes to that. One, you hire roles that you don't know exactly what they do here. Therefore, you can't tell what quality looks like. So you get taken for a ride and you have no money left. And then the outcome wasn't even good work. Um, two, you are so proud of yourself becoming a business owner that you are flaunting the fact that you can hire people, therefore pushing those people away because you've made it about yourself. To build a business, you're going to need help. You can't just do it on your own and expect to grow. You can't grow beyond yourself. Therefore, you have to build a longer table. Most new business owners are obsessing over building a taller fence. They don't want people to take their customers and they really want people who are dedicated to them. In the beginning of the episode, I said it's really obvious what muscle groups you're skipping to other business owners. People who need people to push the rock uphill with them tend to act like the inverse is true. Like they're doing their employees a favor. And this only ever ends in resentment. Or three, which is the culmination of two, and that is forgetting that you're not self-employed anymore, that you are actually a business owner. Therefore, the value of your business is the actual culture inside of it. Let's go back to the bank accounts. So I described to you the first two accounts. The third and fourth accounts are just as important. So I want you to open up another account 
And this is going to be a savings account. And this I want to have no access to be able to transfer into either of the other two accounts. This is for taxes. I know it's not fun, but we got to do it. So you're going to go ahead and set aside any sales tax, income tax, F&E tax, franchise tax, all of that stuff needs to go into a separate account. I like for my tax money to sit in a separate account that I don't have easy access to because once a year at the end of the year, after you've accrued interest on all that you've been feeding to it all year, you can then make your payment for your taxes to your, um, to the IRS. And in my opinion, that is better than giving an interest-free loan to the government. I would rather get the interest myself. And so I put it in a separate account and I let it sit there and grow until tax time comes and we figure out exactly what I actually owe and then I pay that. And so that is what I want you to do for account three because if you're anything like me, you are a visual person and if you see it, you will give it a job. Every dollar gets a job, whether it's a frivolous job, a fun job, an intentional, smart, wise job. Yeah, no. So we don't want to have access to the money that no matter what, against all odds, like has to get out of our account and go elsewhere. Okay, so that's your third account. Your fourth account is pretty exciting and it feels like a pipe dream in the beginning. But hear me out. This is the opportunity fund. This is the fund for dreaming. This fund is where you put the surplus, the money that is left over after you have paid your overhead, your salaries and your expenses and your taxes and all of your supplies, all of that is paid off. Everything that is left at the end of the month is your net profit. It's just cheddar. And that's going to go into the opportunity fund. Because rather than spending here and there throughout the month on this company debit card, that money goes into that opportunity fund. And at the end of the year, you have a real number that you're looking at and you're not chasing your tail when it comes to overheads and expenses. Like the money is there just in case you need it, but you are operating on a month by month cash flow basis. And if you need to, you can transfer that money easily into the business checking account to pay overhead. If let's say you had a month like I have where people don't pay their bills, then you've got the money to be able to pay it. However, at the end of the day, it's in a separate account. And it's there for end of year. If you want to do an owner's draw, you want to do a bonus, you want to give to a charity, you want to make an investment in your business, whatever you want to do, all of the above, it's in a separate account and it's not sitting in your active cash flow, like what you're using to, to keep oxygen and like flowing through the building, to keep the lights on, to keep your people working. So that's what I would recommend when it comes to fund allocation and financial allocation inside of your business is it's it's basically an envelope system but it's digital and it's separate accounts and that way you're not actively looking at the money that you're going to need later you're not spending your tax money and you know for a fact no matter what all of your subcontractors or employees and vendors they're getting paid let's talk about something that i touched on in my last little tangent and that's on reputation. As someone who is self-employed, you have more opportunities to fix your reputation than if you are a business owner. As an individual, conversations around bad work or just a fallen short like customer experience 
can be placed on like, oh, maybe they were having a bad day or maybe they were going through a lot personally. When you become a business, (laughs) one poor interaction with one person that works for you with a client can be the kiss of death for your company. And that is one way that I think being a business is a lot harder than being self-employed is because every invoice is looked at and compared against another company. Um, Every deadline is compared, like how long does it take versus when you're independent, there tends to be a lot more leeway on deadlines than there is for companies. So those two things, I would say, if you're self-employed, you have a way, way better time mitigating and managing reputations and deadlines versus when you are a business, you are expected to fall within certain parameters when it comes to industry standard price and when it comes to your reputation and your deadlines too. Let's be honest. Like as an individual person, it's really, really normal to say, oh, I need two to three weeks. As a business owner, they're going to say, okay, four to five business days should be sufficient to get the job done. So we're going to come back then. And that can be really, really difficult if you're trying to be a business, but you've not actually scaled to meet that demand. But with that being said, when it comes to deadlines, you have to manage it like a business rather than as an independent contractor. So like when you are self-employed, you're looking at, okay, I need to make this many things today or this week versus when you are a business and you have multiple people on multiple machines, you're going, okay, well, this one thing is due on Friday and it needs two machines. And then this other thing is due on Tuesday after that and it needs all four machines and uh, I've got to make all of these different pieces fit together well then the moment that like one project gets behind every single other project falls like dominoes and gets pushed back and in that way deadlines can be managed a lot more effectively however they're far more sensitive than they are when you're self-employed and you're just like a one-woman show I am super jealous, honestly, of people who are self-employed and don't have people working for them when it comes to deadlines and um, reputation because you have a thousand percent control over your reputation. And while I'm super happy with where we're at as a company now, I, I would be lying if I didn't say reputation was something that I had feared over the years um, when I've had different people work for me and I wasn't a thousand percent confident in the way that they represented like my thoughts or my quality of work when you tend to like not be in control of all of the variables. And so that's something that I've had to make peace with. I've had to get good at apologizing for other people's work because it's still my fault. (laughs) And I've had to get really, really good about executing for deadlines because like I always say, if there's no deadline, it's called a hobby. I have a sales philosophy that I really want to share with you. And if you are finding yourself in the shift from being self-employed to maybe it's time, maybe it's time to grow into a full-fledged business or at least get a helper or two, or at least delegate out the one thing. What's the one thing on your to-do list that keeps getting pushed back because it's not a strong muscle group for you? that might be your sign that it's time to become a business. So if you are finding yourself in that interim, in that time where you are hustling day and night, trying to get the job done, trying to get more clients, trying to get paid, trying to get product out the door, trying to correct your website, trying to check on your email list, trying to create more products, like all of those things, then it might just be time. And if it is, if I'm speaking to you, I want to share this sales philosophy with you that helped me a ton 
my friend Tim taught me this years and years ago, and it's called Hunters and Farmers, and it stuck with me forever because this is what helped me brand what I was doing in my head as a management strategy. And from there forward, I was able to make peace with hiring help, with doing something more profitable with my time that I was paying someone else to do the job, and in actually growing to require those roles. In a healthy village, in a healthy tribe, you have both hunters and farmers. Now, you may be a great hunter and not really into the farming, or you might be the gatherer, you might be the farmer, and going out and hunting work sounds freaking terrifying. I would argue that if you're a business owner, you kind of like a little bit of both because we do this to ourselves, but if you're trying to grow... I would encourage you to figure out which one is not your strong suit and which one is and delegate out the other one. Like if you love to farm, if you like to take care of the clients that you have in the safe walls of your business, it's time to get a hunter. And that could look a couple different ways. If you want to hire a hunter, you could hire someone to do sales. I'm sure eHow or like whatever wiki article is going to tell you to hire a salesperson. In craft work, it doesn't really float that way. That kind of sounds weird and tacky. So you could hire an ad expert. You could hire a marketing person, a CMO, a social media creator. Hire anything that is outreach to new and potential customers. So it could look so many different ways. It could be hard sales, It could be having somebody go to different fabric stores and getting your products sold there. It could be somebody who has contacts with uh, different, different craft stores that like is in the development or is in the, is a buyer at any of these stores. And you're able to get your little product or your paper product, like a pattern sold in those stores because you spent the time and you got someone to start hunting for you. That's a thing. That's possible. It could be somebody simply doing PR and telling your story or helping you tell your story better or more potently. That's a good hunter. If you're good at those things, it might be time for you to hire a farmer. The farmer takes care of what's inside of the room. They're taking care of the current clients. Now that you've established the relationship with them, they say, hey, come with me. Stay within the walls of the castle. I'll keep you safe now. And I know for me, Natalyn does great at that. So she stays inside of the shop most of the time, and she works on the projects that I go out and I hunt for her. And I hang them all up, and I show her exactly what I want done, and she works on it. And oftentimes we work together, and we both take different tasks. Um, and then other times she's been able to step up and go for me. Uh, it's because I can't make it to certain fittings and such. And so for me, as a good hunter, as someone that likes to build mousetraps and funnels and send out emails and have all of these different outreach methods to my dream customers, I would prefer to hire a farmer. I would prefer to hire somebody who knows how to sew, that I can teach my exact flourishes, that I can teach my exact way of doing things so that she can be as good of a farmer as me. And then I can go out and I can hunt and get even more work for the both of us. So that's the sales philosophy. And if you are growing, but you're like, oh, I don't know yet. (laughs) I'm not really wanting a team. That sounds like something to have to be accountable to. That sounds expensive, right? I get you. I was right there. I was literally in your same boat. 
then maybe consider adopting this philosophy in the micro and seeing what it does for you over the next few months in the macro. If you're on the fence in terms of growth, just know, you're, hey, you're going to fall sometimes. And sometimes you're going to want to try to straddle that fence and have one foot in the self-employed side and another foot in the business owner side. That's pretty normal. But I'm just going to let you know it's very uncomfortable to sit that way for long periods of time. And if this is the route for you and you really are thinking, you know what? Yes, it's time. And Crystal, this is the exact way that my brain needed to frame it. Is is there there must be a difference because that's literally what I've been seeing is people don't know that there is a difference. And I think just by acknowledging which side of the fence that you're on, it's going to unblock a couple things for you. I have become a voracious reader, therefore I'm going to give you a couple of book recommendations, so I hope that you're into it as well. If not, maybe invest in the audio version because we know you like to listen. So the first book that I would recommend you read is called The Road Less Stupid. It's by Keith Cunningham. Obsessed. He's brilliant. The next book I want you to read is called Profit First. And now that you've got a really good foundation with those two books, I want you to read the book called Getting to Yes. It's about negotiation. Maybe you're a hunter. You're going to need that one. And then finally, one of my favorites, because it's just so candid, uh, ironically to use that word, is 12 and a Half by Gary V. And he just talks about the 12 ingredients, essential ingredients for business success, with the last one, the half, being kind candor. So I would really recommend that you read those books because I firmly believe that a healthy company starts with a very healthy emotional intelligence of its leader. And you can't have a healthy company if you don't have a healthy intelligence. Emotional, that is. (laughs) I hope you got something out of this. Hey, if you're still listening at this point, that sounds like I deserve a five-star review. So five stars, five stars, one, two, three, four, five only only five. Please hit that subscribe button wherever you like to listen if you've not subscribed yet and catch you next time on Pull the Thread.